in all seriousness, before I get started, let's keep JD in our prayers. Uh, you know, COVID is still real, uh, and he, he's battling that. So our prayers for his full healing and recovery, as well as for Claudette and Travis. But maybe it was speaking of the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to remind us what it was like over five years ago in the Greater Huntsville Church. It was the wild, wild west. You guys, so you can better appreciate having a man like J.D. here leading us, because then you'd had a potpourri of brothers like, hey, let's pick a card, any card, you're up. And they would come up leading the service, and you were like, okay, amen, and you were grateful for it. You were grateful for it. Um, and God blessed us and led us through that time and produced fruit, keeping with our perseverance and our faithfulness. And now to step aside and to see that we are blessed with um, just so many more brothers and sisters who've joined us from other congregations, joined God's kingdom here in, in Huntsville, uh, and in all matter of ways come to be a part of this family. And then if the need arises, you have a brother like Brian who can come out, share his heart about what God is doing in his life for communion with no more than a day's notice because of his relationship with God and because of his desire to uh, to grow and to change. And dare I say, um, he pruned. So we're doing a series about fruit that lasts. And over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, studied in John 14, verse 27 through 29, talking about Jesus telling us to don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus reassuring the disciples about the upcoming events in Jesus' life and in their own lives. And last week, you know, looking at John 15, 1 through 5, and reading that scripture, highlighting the fact that God is the great gardener. Jesus is the true vine. And we, disciples, are the branches. Now read, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In order to bear much fruit, Jesus tells the disciples that they must be pruned and remain in the vine. We must maintain our connection to him. Today's lesson, we're going to talk about pruning. Uh, titled, Less is More. Every branch that bears fruit, God prunes. Pruning, cleaning, trimming, all for the goal of being even more fruitful. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, thank you so much for your love, your loving care, your concern and your plans for us. Father, thank you that you are meticulous in how you cleanse us, you teach us, you trim and correct us. Father, that you're careful about our growth so that we can reach fullness in Christ and bring you glory and burst with the fruit of your spirit, that you may be pleased, that you may be glorified, and that you may be worshipped. 
throughout your creation. Please be with us today to speak from the Spirit, and not my words, but let your words speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In order to bear much fruit, Jesus tells his disciples that they must be pruned and remain in him. So as you guessed, our theme scripture pulled from 15.1-2 is number two. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that I'll be even more fruitful. Micah asked me before we got started as we're circling up, is there anything we need to do, anything we need to get prepared for, for your sermon? And it caught me off guard. But if you've been watching the news lately, you're right. I didn't think about it till lately till you asked that question. But I'm, I might be demonstrating my Edward Scissorhands up here. You know, we might demonstrate that. That's tainted for you. Uh, old Johnny Depp movie. He had the guy and he had the, the, cle- the, the cleavers for fingers. And it was detrimental to everybody in his life. But he always won the most beautiful yard award. (laughs) And so as this word comes out, it may cut you. It may let it pierce your heart. But as it does, keep in mind that our loving and caring gardener does so that we may produce even more fruit. And what is being removed, what is being taken away is that which is contrary to our growth. It's vital to understand that pruning is not punishment. Pruning is a demonstration of love and care so more fruit can be harvested. More fruit. What is dead is taken away. The fruit that is harvested is removed and and more room is made for even greater fruit to be produced. When our character is being pruned, we can be tempted to lose heart and give up. Romans verse chapter five, verse one through five tells us that suffering leads to perseverance. And that brings character and character results in hope. Three and four say, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. It's amazing. If you're not careful, scriptures like this, you'll hear it and it's, it almost makes you yearn for hardship and suffering. You know, it's like I need to, if, if things have been kind of too placid, too simple, too, too status quo in your life, you're almost like, I need some tension. I need something to just kind of know that God is working on my heart. And of course, if you're in a season of pruning and of challenge, you're like, I, I got it. I'm good. But how amazing is God? that he personally demonstrated that the path of hope is through suffering. The scriptures are riddled with examples of people whose character was pruned because God had greater plans for them. Start thinking about Moses. A quick rundown. Born under a curse, saved on a river. Raised in privilege, but refused to ignore the suffering of his people. He fled in exile. He was called by God, groomed to be a shepherd. He returned to liberate and proclaim God's deliverance. And he was saved through the sea. He communed with God. He contended with men. He was God's messenger. He was weakened by anger and pride. And ultimately, he died at the doorstep of the promise. What of Joseph, 
of Samson, of Naomi, of David, of Hosea, of Peter, of Paul. And you know what? And many others who are in this room with us today. You can think back of examples in your life when God was pruning you. It was a season. We have a rose, couple of rose bushes in our front yard, and Camille, in her research, determined the best time to prune them, I think she said, was January, near the end of winter. And as it goes often in our house, that deadline came and it went. And then soon it was February, and end of February. We got a, did we get a snow kind of like in mid-February or something like that, so maybe we still have a chance. And the snow melted, and I... And my work, my work office is now outside that window, and I looked out, and I said, hey, you know, I, you know, if you still want to get that pruning, you know, now's a good time. Because I was expressly forbidden to prune that rose bush. As you see, my hand can sometimes not be delicate when it comes to cutting back. And so uh, she wanted a more nuanced approach. Well, she eventually got out in late February, maybe early March. Pruned it, but it started to warm up. And then the sun was out and it was a bit warmer and it still looked a little fledgling. And we wondered to ourselves, did we wait too long? Did it go? But no, it is now luxurious, full of rose blooms. I can hardly imagine that if this wasn't the right time, I would have looked at it even more optimal time. But I was encouraged. I know you can all think about seasons in your lives. God has pruned you. I can think back before I was a disciple. In seventh grade, I joined, a, a, I went from my zone school to a, a, a magnet school. I had an opportunity to go to a magnet school. Um, it was just down with football. I was looking forward to joining the football team in junior high. Magnet school didn't have a football team. Didn't have the facilities or the support for it. Aside, I went to a couple of early practices for football in August in Tennessee. But they wanted you to run a lot. So I wasn't too excited about football. <laughs> I was like, when do we hit people? <laughs> I don't want to run. So I may or may not have already made a decision to not play football. But I did find that some and some other weaklings like me had repented of that decision and joined the football team. So my revisionist history is I always would have joined that football team. <laughs> but now my parents got me at this school and they don't have football teams. So I'm upset. But what they did have was a wrestling team. I watch WWF. I'm gay. Let's do wrestling. So, went out to wrestling. I was overweight, I was out of shape, and I was untrained. And the camel clutch is frowned upon in interscholastic wrestling. That's a, <laughs> not many are going to get that one, but I found that out in the practice. That was a, a move done by a guy by the name of the Iron Sheet. He would sit on your back while you were laying on your stomach clasp his hands under your jaw, and lift back up. And we were doing a wrestling drill, and I promptly mounted one of my teammates, sat on his back, clutched his chin, and gleefully lifted to the sky. And as he yelled and the coach tackled me off of him, he said, we don't do that here. You know, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, it's the camel club. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking, I'm like, I got this. And I quickly learned that those were not the techniques that were used in wrestling. This was a bit more uh, of, a, of a structured approach. Needless to say, I stayed and the season continued uh, and I proceeded to lose every match. I was defeated. Literally. You know, you heard undefeated. I was 
literally, I lost every match. Oh, and however many times they put me out there to get waxed. <laughs> but to my surprise, looking back, I never quit, even though I wanted to. Every time practice started and our coach said, let's go run figure eights, which means about a three-level schoolhouse, you run it up the stairs, middle level, up the stairs, cross, down, until it's done. So about every time, uh, probably about, yeah, about on that second eight, I was ready to end it off. And on, one and on a few occasions, I'll admit, I may have had an impromptu need to go to the restroom during the middle of that running mate. And then uh, and hang out until, oh, it's almost done. Let me hop back out. Fresh as a daisy and finish these figure eights. My character was still a work in progress. But we stuck with it. Eighth grade came around. Roughly the same weight. Maybe 10% less body fat. Maybe 10% more muscle but in better condition and with a year of training under my belt. Who knew? It didn't seem like it much had changed in my mind. Seventh, eighth grade, but the results were different. Went through a season and had victory and ultimately ended with a record of like 24 wins and seven losses and, and got and placed in the city championships. I was like, man, what happened? The difference wasn't only the year. It was the fruit of the endurance and the training and the perseverance in that first year. Being willing to take the lumps. Being willing to stay in through in the process even when it hurts. Even when you want to quit. Even when you might micro quit and then re restart. You know, just, just microaggressions, you have a micro quit. Like I stopped, I, you know, I, I stopped, but, you know, we're going to reset. Quit probably two or three times in a single practice. Our life in the hands of a merciful and loving God is like clay molded into beautiful pottery. It's not mud. You may feel like it sometimes, but our life is not mud to be trampled on and thrown out. We are valued by God, even when we can't value ourselves. Even when we don't see much value in the work we do and what we've accomplished and how we feel in the moment, or even those around us. At times, we're blessed to have friends who really see value in us, and at times, there's others that we may be tempted to give up on. We're not mud. Valuable to God. Train. Another aside. In high school baseball, Mr. Revis, my coach, our training in baseball was the train. And then train, everybody took off running in a line across the out perimeter of the field. And the person in the back had to sprint to the front. And then and you keep doing that over and over again. Oh, what torturous ways that we choose to get our kids in shape. And there were actually guys on the team who enjoyed that. <sighs> anyway, an aside, as the train passes. Christ suffered most, but he still trusted God. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, we read that it was yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And calls him to suffer. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. 
Jesus' sufferings were a part of God's will, preparing Christ to redeem us. Suffering was that past, the Via Dolorosa. Is that song so beautifully plays that was sang, uh, sung uh, by the leader of the marriage retreat. I hadn't heard that song in years, but a beautiful one. The way of suffering was the path selected by the son of God to prepare him, not for perfection, because he was perfect already living an infinite time in God's presence. So that he could come to this broken world and redeem us. Us. So I got a big idea. As disciples, we've got to learn to normalize hard times. Despite how we may feel, the presence of adversity does not always, not always mean that God is upset with or even punishing us. Think of our children. Generally, the greater the potential harm, the more stern the correction. You guys may not have guessed it. I can wax the poeticness of my waxing. You can let the listener be the judge, but it's often poetic in my mind. But when it's time for correction and the harm is real, I'm loud, quick, and to the point. Get back! Stop that! But... It's no, it's no question in the mind of my children that I need them to cease and desist or return promptly. When our child is about to run blindly into the street or into the parking lot unsupervised. Or if a baby is playing near the socket, my warnings are loud and clear. Not to harm them, but quite the opposite. The purpose and goal of my discipline is not to hurt them, but to teach, protect, and prepare them. Recent example. Despite their lack of enthusiasm, Camille and I signed our boys up to be in the local youth track club this summer. Now at this point, even though Camille is Jamaican, but at this point, we don't have visions of grandeur. The goal of having them run laps in the hot sun to encourage them as they fade from fatigue and, to, kept, and to, to, to keep cheering them on when they have been passed by all the other runners on the track is not to make them Olympians. We want to help them learn how to keep pushing when times are hard. We needed a practical way to develop that character and to demonstrate what that feels like when things aren't going their way to finish the race as best they can. It reminds me of an anecdote that's probably familiar to most of us. Um, that speaks to the danger of bypassing God's plan for our growth. One day, a small gap appeared in the cocoon through which the butterfly had to appear. A boy who accidentally passed by stopped and watched how the butterfly was trying to get out of the cocoon. It took a lot of time. The butterfly was trying very hard, and the gap was as small as when he started. It seemed that the power would soon leave the butterfly. The boy decided to help the butterfly. He took out a penknife and cut the cocoon. And the butterfly immediately popped out. But its body was weak and feeble, and the wings were barely moving. The boy continued to watch the butterfly. 
thinking that now its wings would spread and it would fly. However, that did not happen. The rest of its short life, the butterfly had to drag its weak body and wings that weren't spread. It was unable to fly because the boy did not realize that the effort to enter through the narrow gap of the cocoon was necessary for the butterfly so that the life-giving fluid would move from the body to the butterfly's wings and that the butterfly could fly. Life forced the butterfly to leave its shell with difficulty so that it would become stronger and would be able to grow and develop. If we were allowed to live a life without meeting difficulties, we would not be viable. Life gives us challenges to make us stronger. Now we take that example and we think about God as our most loving father. And he knows that we need to overcome adversity in order to mature into the fullness that is Christ. How can his sinless, perfect son have mapped out in his plan to leave perfection, to come here and suffer and be rejected and die for our redemption? And we miss out on that incredible opportunity to develop ourselves. From a practical standpoint, I want to speak uh, to those like myself who are parents. We've got to prayerfully support our children in their process of growth. However, if we intervene, driven by fear and faithlessness, we risk short-circuiting their development. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them suffer. That young boy was just curious. Let me help the butterfly get out. I want to see him fly. I don't want to see him struggle through that small gap and experience that pain and that setback and that rejection. I send my power to help and intervene and step in and lighten that load. And at times that's necessary. But with faith, not in fear. Heaven forbid that we would be the stumbling blocks that would limit and and deter our children's development. And Sam's on the TV says y'all need to marinate on that point for a minute. So not just parents is at a risk for, but the same challenge exists in the fellowship for us as brothers and sisters in God's family. We must prayerfully support, advise, and encourage one another as we face life's challenges. However, let us be careful not to assume that we know more than God. The reason that we face the challenges that we face Often only God knows. But let us partner together with one another, seeking God for wisdom, insight, repentance, and faithful obedience. When Jesus predicted his own death, preparing his disciples for what's to come, do not be troubled. Rely on me. It's going to be okay. As y'all looked at in John 14 a couple of weeks ago with Mark 8 in that retelling, Peter presumed to have Jesus' best interest in mind. 
And starting in verse 31, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Did Peter think in that moment that he was an instrument of Satan? Was he doing anything other than thinking about the well-being and the safety of his rabbi, his mentor, his Lord and his friend? He could not fathom a need for his Lord and dear friend to suffer humiliation and rejection and death. No, not you, Lord. You're the author of life. But in that moment, with all that care and concern and passion, he was not working on behalf of God. He was operating out of fear and faithlessness. His loving efforts to intervene had, were literally tempting Jesus to abandon the path that God had for him. As brothers and sisters, it can be painful as we watch one another struggle, as we watch one another wrestle with and deal with sin or its consequences in our lives, or even seemingly be set upon for no apparent reason. And we don't abandon. We do. We still support and encourage and love one another. But it is not our place to intercede in, in any way other than how God drives us to. At that time, Peter's fear prevented his faith from understanding God's plan. However, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that a fruit of faithful endurance in times of hardship is a harvest of righteousness and peace. And some scriptures pulled out from verses 3 to 11. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is training us through the process of pruning. He is training our brothers and sisters through the process of pruning. He is training our children and our grandchildren in the process of pruning, a process that in real time often is painful, often is discouraging, often is confusing. But if we believe we're in the hands of that loving father, then we can trust that God's will is being done. God did not spare his own one and only son from earthly trials, deep pain and physical death. Quite honestly, it would be quite bold of us to ask to be spared of any of that ourselves. But God is merciful. He is gracious. And why it is highly unlikely that most of us will suffer a fraction of the things that our Lord suffered. But it's incumbent upon us to have the faith and the courage and the conviction to endure faithfully when God has us in the crosshairs or in between the lancers of that pruning for it. 
Jesus endured his suffering, and yet he never failed to trust God. And God disciplines all of us children for our good. Think about it. Would you rather fall into the hands of your adversary or your Lord? Kiss, you know, an enemy multiplies kisses. It's often comfortable in the hands of those who wish you harm. Why not? They want you trusted. They want you with your guard down. They want you not relying and seeking God, but instead enjoying the comforts of this world. It's often in the hands of our loving father that we experience discomfort and discouragement. Momentary as it is, and that can be confusing. But in the hands of a loving God, even scars are evidence of his deliverance. A few weeks ago, I had opportunity to share communion. And one of the passages that I shared was in John 20. And thinking about that passage, what does Thomas ask Jesus when he sees him? Everybody else had saw the resurrected Lord and celebrated. But Thomas was like, hey, until I see it, I won't believe it. So he sees him. And what's yeah? Where are the scars? Where are the scars? Not the fact that you are physically embodied after I saw them kill you and put your lifeless body in a rock. Not that I walked with you and knew who you are. Let me see the holes. Let me see where they, where they pierced you. The scars proved to the doubter that Jesus was the resurrected Christ. Okay, but by these scars, I know you were the one who went through that process. Isn't it amazing that the resurrected Christ still had his scars? He walked around in kind of that damaged goods for a while before he put on his new duds. He was like, okay, got to go down, preach to the, the spirits in the underworld, those who didn't hear the message before. Got to come back, strengthen those that remain. I'm still going. They took him to the cleaners. It's a little bit better, but I'm going to wear this one. But I'll, I got my new robe upstairs. But I'll put it on so you know by the damage who you're talking with. And that is the Jesus that inspired Thomas. Not he, you know, he would have been overwhelmed if he saw the resplendent Jesus. He would have been encouraged had he saw the pre-death Jesus. But seeing the banged, the tortured, the murdered, and then the restored Jesus, oh, that got him fired up. Scars remind us that we've come out on the other side. Scars are the proof that God is God. I appreciate you guys' patience, and I appreciate this opportunity to share about this. I appreciate what Brian shared about the challenges and the pruning he experienced in his life. I appreciate the vulnerability that exists within our fellowship as we share with one another and ask for prayers for one another as we face life challenges. And we are to be there for one another. I appreciate the growing youth and team ministry that we are developing as a support to our children to help them as they learn to walk and develop a faith. And I pray that we, as the mentors and the parents, will be able to look out with them with love and with wisdom and having the courage to support, but not short circuit the path and the challenges that God puts before our children because he's not intending to hurt them. He wants them to accept his son 
and to walk in glorious freedom. But they're not ready yet. They're not ready to fly. But he wants to get them there. I have some closing thoughts regarding pruning. Number one, have the spirit of an overcomer. If God is pruning you, then he knows you can handle it. Not in and of yourself, <coughs> but he knows that you rely on him. That you believe in his word. That you pray, that you're open, and you're willing to seek the help and seek him to get the strength you need to withstand the storm and come out whole on the other side. Suffering is no fun. I in no way mean to minimize it, but it is not abnormal. Here in our country, in our culture, what is considered suffering would be the dream of many and most people who inhabit this earth. Suffer, even as we come to know and, and, and interact with different members of society through new futures and other ventures, that even people in our very own city, things that we take for granted, They have to beg for. They have to search for. They have to hope for. Suffering doesn't mean that you're headed in the wrong direction. The young me, that's what I thought. If this is hard, this obviously is not the way. I need to, I need to seize part it. That's not always the case. But through pruning, my last thought, through pruning, God is able to help us become the best version of ourselves. And when we receive that to his glory, we will be fruit at last. Love you guys. Thank you very much. That is. Ooh.